Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. For this week, the official podcast of the National Bank Open in Toronto, presented by Rogers Cup. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, this is kind of a fun preview episode, teeing up tennis yet again in Toronto and Montreal. It's only been, what, a two-year wait. (laughs) Feels like longer in that sense. Uh, after all, we've been through the past two years, but so fantastic to have our hometown tournament back and and both events really going here in Canada this year, as we know, and we've mentioned so many times over the past year, how important they are to the development and growth of tennis in our country. And I don't know about you, but just after like half a day of media obligations already, I'm absolutely exhausted. I yeah. haven't tweeted this much in a very, very long time. So I'm going to have to pace myself throughout this upcoming week. Yeah, yeah. Take it easy. Pick your spots. You don't have to tweet everything. Um, but I, I feel like people want all the information as the tournament starts, understandably so. We have draws out. We're going to do a full draw preview of both the uh, men's field in Toronto and the women's field in Montreal and a couple interviews as well. Um, I had a chance to speak with tournament director in Toronto, Carl Hale, and you had a chance to speak to a Canadian doubles player, Sharon Fishman. And um, we could leave right off the bat uh, with my conversation for Carl Hale as we uh, tee up the National Bank Open in Toronto. Very happy to be joined right now by tournament director, Carl Hale. And uh, Carl, just for starters, I mean, this feels like a long time coming now, two years since we've we've had the event, of course, in Toronto and uh, Montreal as well. Just your emotions overall as uh, we're about to get started with uh, the National Bank Open. Uh, super excited. You know, it's great to have tennis back in Canada and Toronto. Um, a lot of players arriving now. You know, I just talked to Kachanov and Rublev, who are really good friends. Uh, Kachanov just came from the Olympics, won the silver medal. Um, a lot of other players are starting to uh, come in. Staff is really excited to be back at the event and, you know, the ATP tour people. So it's great to see the activity on the grounds. And uh, I just saw Dennis walk past. We had a nice little chat. So, you know, great player field. We're really excited about that. Great to have the event back. And it's going to be a great week of tennis. Yeah, I think uh, we're, we're all looking forward to it. Obviously, qualifying uh, starting up this weekend. Fans uh, cannot attend that, but uh, as of Monday, uh, we will have fans uh, attending on center court. Just in terms of fan experience, obviously, it has to be different this year uh, due to COVID protocols. But uh, if you're going to the event this year as opposed to previous years, maybe what should you anticipate and, and expect? Well, it's going to be a great week of weather, great week of tennis, great player field, as I indicated earlier. Um, play, uh, fans can only watch live tennis in the stadium this year, day and night sessions uh, because of the protocols and the bubbles we have, which is OK, because I think they're going to be exposed to some some world class tennis. And uh, I think it'll be a, a great, great week of, of uh, entertainment. Um, the really interesting news is that we only have a hundred tickets left for the final. So ticket sales wow. have been way above what we expected, you know, strategically, you know, we want to welcome the fans back. We haven't been here for two years. So tickets are really much cheaper than before. Monday night is, you know, approximately $30, you know, and a, a big, big thank you to our corporate partners, national bank and Rogers who have stuck behind us without them. This event couldn't happen. And, uh, through the pandemic, they've stuck with us, Rogers, for over 20 years, and National Bank is our new title sponsor. Yeah, and, you know, I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago with uh, 
CEO of Tennis Canada, Michael Downey. And, and that time we were still awaiting that federal approval, which then came in. And then of course uh, the tournament's kind of been all systems go. It feels like for the past couple months, um, if you were to look back, I may maybe say half a year, what was your concern level then of getting this tournament uh, happening? And, and are you a little surprised that we could make it happen this summer? Um, you know, in February, obviously I was really concerned when we locked down and uh, into March. But then in April, what I, when I saw what was happening with the U.S. and how they, they were reacting to the vaccinations and doing really well, I figured we'd kind of mirror that. And obviously, we've done even much better. So as of April, I was very optimistic. And even in the last month or so, I thought we were going to go and make this happen. Um, so really excited to make it happen. And a bonus is to have 5,000 fans. Because the interesting thing, I was just talking to a contemporary of mine, and I said, the number one question the players have for asking me today and yesterday is, you know, do you have fans? Which I was really surprised, you know. So they really like that fan support. They love Toronto and they're looking forward to seeing the fans in the stands. Yeah, I, I think it's such a, an awesome drive. I don't know if you've been following, for example, the city open in Washington and, and seeing that electricity from the crowd, for example, when Rafael Nadal was first taking the court and uh, just feeling that the players were feeding off that energy. Do, do you think we can experience a, a similar type of vibe, even if the fans being allowed this week is is going to be contained to that number of 5,000? I, I think it'll be even better. I think that our, our fans... Uh, are so eager and excited and the reaction to ticket sales has been so strong that it's going to be an electric atmosphere, you know, in, in the crowd, especially our night sessions, which is always a really electric crowd. And also, you know, lucky for us, we have, you know, Dennis Felix and Vasek who are vying and really contenders for the title. So uh, we're hoping they go through deep. Uh, Dennis, I think will be roughly around the fifth seed, which is the highest seed since Milos back in 2016. So it's, it's really uh, going to be great to watch. Yeah, that's a good segue to just chatting about a few of these players. Um, I, I will point out we had a few withdrawals. Um, Sasha Zverev had, of course, the long Olympics getting gold. Uh, he can't make it. Matteo Berrettini out. Um, and Milos Raonic, unfortunately, did have to withdraw. Did, did you have a conversation with him? And, and is, do you know where he's at right now health-wise? Yeah, you know, I've known Milos for since he's about 12 years old. And, you know... Uh, just on a personal level, I just feel really badly for him because it seems like since that Wimbledon final, he just can't have a, a, a few months of health, you know, and uh, it's re he's really disheartened. You know, he's worked so hard trying to get back to good health and he seems to get there and then his body breaks down again. But he's such a competitor. He's, he's still fighting through it. Uh, right now, he's just playing some golf, you know, and trying to get good at golf. Um, but he wants to be back on the court and he's really disappointed not to be here. And uh, for, for the players who are here, you mentioned uh, Denis Shapovalov. And I, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've missed out in a sense of getting that experience of watching him play live in Canada. It feels like as we missed 2020, of course, 2017 was his amazing breakout moment. And, I, I kind of sense like another moment could be around the corner, maybe in Toronto. We saw the way he played at, at Wimbledon. What are you expecting from him this week? Well, you know, Dennis's breakout moment for me was actually here in 2016, I believe it was, when he beat uh, Nick Kyrgios. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he was a wild card, and he really showed at such a young age that he loves the limelight. And he was an electric night, one of my favorite nights at the Rogers Cup that I've been a part of. Uh, I think he's, he's in great shape. He's really eager and ready to play in front of his home crowd and country. 
Um, so I think he's going to have a great tournament. He's the fifth seed right now. And, you know, let's see what happens with the draw tomorrow at noon. And hopefully he gets a, a favorable draw and can push through to the to a really good tournament. Another uh, few players, uh, at least I'll be watching carefully, of course, Rafael Nadal, two-time defending champion. And um, I, I don't know about you, he seems to play his absolute best on a hard court when he comes over to Canada. Yeah, and then he won the uh, U.S. Open after us the last time. I think yep. that, you know, his schedule right now is that he wants to do really well and win a lot of matches here in prep for the U.S. Open. So he's coming in tomorrow, uh, and I think Washington was good for him to just get a couple of matches in and get on court. So I look to him to have a really good tournament and go deep. And another superstar who's uh, he's ranked second right now overall, and um, his huge breakout for me was his 2019 summer was absolutely fantastic. I believe he won Western and Southern Open. He was in the finals of the Montreal tournament, then got to the finals of the U.S. Open. Um, but the Toronto crowd hasn't really had the full Danil Medvedev experience uh, because, of course, we missed the tournament from last year. Um, this guy's one of the best hardcore players in the world. Yeah, he's definitely uh, a favorite to win the title here. Um, unbelievable player, great competitor, just super tough, doesn't miss a ball and then can hurt you sometimes. A lot of people are, are looking forward to seeing him play for the first time here in Toronto. And uh, we look forward to hosting him and hopefully he can do well in the tournament as well. Just a couple more questions for you. Um, for those fans who maybe, you know, they, they do want to see live tennis, they they have been missing it, but maybe they have trepidations about uh, the risks of going and attending venues. Um, what type of protocols in place? Like, how can you kind of assure safety, ensure the safety for, for fans coming, maybe even for the first time? Yeah, so we want to be the safest tournament in the world. So we have a, a dedicated entrance for the fans coming into the tournament. We have spacing for all of our seats, twos or fours, so that people will be spaced out. Masks are mandatory. And then we have a specific exit when everybody's leaving for the event. So we're really, you know, doing our due diligence to make it the safest tournament in the world. Uh, safeties are, are paramount to the success of our tournament. We don't want any players, fans, staff, or anybody getting, you know, sick with COVID. So we're doing our best to make sure that we're safe and they're safe. And uh, lastly, I mean, 2019, I think uh, you, you would understand would obviously be one of the biggest, I think, tennis years for this country with Bianca Andreescu winning the U.S. Open. It felt like, like such a breakout moment. And then 2020, we kind of had the air sucked out <laughs> um, in terms of the development of tennis in this country. How important is it just for Canada to have these tournaments back uh, for this week? I think, you know, we're, we're entering a golden era of tennis in Canada with uh, Bianca, Dennis, and Felix specifically, that they're going to do incredible things over the next 10 years. They're going to win Grand Slams. We're going to win Davis Cup. We're going to win Fed Cup. So you're going to see incredible results from these players. On top of that, I think that, you know, COVID kind of helped tennis because it's a social distancing sport. So most mm -hmm. tennis clubs are doing extremely well. They're full or have waiting lists, public parks have a lot of people playing so we're gonna we're gonna use that energy on top of these players doing really well showcasing how great tennis is that you're gonna see a tremendous growth in the sport very very soon and continued for the next 10 years well carl uh thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and uh we can't wait uh to be on site watching uh, the national bank open in toronto thanks for having me we look forward to seeing everybody here on site at the aviva center 
There you have it. My interview with tournament director Carl Hale, who you can tell obviously is very excited. And uh, I could tell was taking time out of a very busy schedule to speak with me. So uh, we're grateful here for Matchpoint, from Matchpoint Canada that he had the chance. And uh, I mean, as we talk right now, qualifying is already underway uh, on both the men's and the women's fields. And it's kind of a reminder for me of how heavy a field a Masters 1000, WTA 1000 is. Because you look at some of the names in the qualifying field and you're like, these are some great, great players on the courts already this weekend. Yeah, and I feel if we start with the, the men's tournament in Toronto, it's, uh, it's not an easy draw for uh, the men who are in there. There are some, some tough names. Obviously, Francis Tiafo is the number one seed in qualifying. And, you know, often these are players that we've become accustomed to seeing in the main draws, but for whatever reason maybe an injury, maybe they've just hit a, a bad patch. Uh, you know, the, the ranking is a little bit too low to get main draw acceptance. But guys who are leaps and bounds, I hate to say it, it's not a knock on our Canadian players in there, but ranking-wise, quite a bit ahead of, uh, of our Canadian crew. And, you know, some of them that we have in there, like Braden Schnur and Peter Polanski, they've been around for a while, especially mm-hmm. Polanski, who's played so many different, um, you know, previously Rogers Cups, now National Bank Open, He's also had some really tough draws in the past when he has made the main draw. He's played Federer before. He's played Djokovic before. Um, but both those guys got off to a great start for us today. Yeah, big credit to uh, Peter Polanski. I feel like this was probably his match uh, of the year. He's facing uh, the uh, Dominic Kepfer, who uh, fans might remember him battling with Roger Federer at Roland Garros and taking a set. And he was seated fourth in the qualifying here. And uh, Polanski just playing a really rock solid match, winning 6-3, 6-4, hit seven aces. Very, very impressive. And then that was followed up by Braden Schnurr, who really has been grinding away much like Polanski on the challenger circuit this season uh, goes out and beats a hard hitting American Marcos Giron, who has had good results in the past actually has a a win over Milos Raonic in his career. So two really quality um, qualifying wins. I was wondering if it was just that Toronto air and that familiarity, unfortunately it can't be played in front of fans in Toronto. Uh, There are fans in Montreal for the qualifying there, but um, yeah, maybe just the good Canadian vibes uh, producing some, some good early results here. Yeah, it's the home court advantage, even if you don't have fans in the stands, because these guys have practiced plenty of times there, played there many times already. And this is such a big opportunity for them because they're not going to get into the qualies, you know, of other Masters 1000s throughout the year. This is their opportunity to hopefully make that main draw, get a few extra ranking points they won't get in other places, get a bigger payday as well that can help them, you know, with their training costs and their travel costs, especially with what things have been like over the past year at the challenger level with a whole lot less opportunities for these guys. So fingers crossed that we can get uh, maybe a couple of them into the main draw. It'd be fantastic to see. Yeah, that would be terrific. And and just jumping right into the draw right now, we, we do have uh, both draws out and we'll start on the men's side. Danil Medvedev is the number one seed here at the tournament. Number two, Rafael Nadal, who's also the two-time defending champion. Last time we saw Nadal in Toronto, it was uh, beating Stefano Tsitsipas in that 2018 final. And Danil Medvedev, it, it's strange that we don't fully have like that familiarity with him in Toronto um, because 2019 the men were in Montreal but I was reflecting too with Carl Hale this unbelievable summer that Medvedev had two years ago um, making finals in Montreal beating Djokovic and winning the Western and Southern Open and then finals at, at the U.S. Open that was like the summer of Medvedev when he just took off and um, you know, he's held so steady in the rankings and is the number two ranked player in the world and rightfully so top seed here. 
And it was so different when we last saw Medvedev in Toronto, as you mentioned. So that was three years ago. And I don't have the ranking data in front of me, but Medvedev clearly was a lot lower ranked than he is today. He played a match early in that tournament against Felix Auger Aliassime. And boy, have the two really exploded since that time with mm -hmm. Medvedev being, you know, at the top of the game and, and Felix pushing to get into the top 10. So for Toronto fans, they're going to be seeing players who have gone leaps and bounds uh, beyond where they were the last time they were here in our city. Um, I'm still wrapping my head around the draw as I, as I look through it. Um, where, where do you want to start with this one? Well, just... In terms of some fun, interesting matches, I think early on, already you go at the top of half of the draw. Daniel Medvedev is awaiting the winner of Daniel Evans and Alexander Bublik. And already you're starting off with like pretty high quality. Evans is a big match player, has a lot of variety and creativity. Alexander Bublik is one of those unconventional players. will mix in all types of drop shots. So I think that's a great first round match. And then Medvedev's going to have a challenge with the winner of that one. Um, I look here where Denis Shapovalov is. He's the fifth seed and he's on the bottom of the top half of the draw. And already we could get a blockbuster early with him. Sebastian Korda, if he wins his first match, is lining up to face Denis Shapovalov. And we're always looking for those kind of budding rivalries, I think, between Canada and the U.S., and for me, Korda is one of those young American players who has uh, such high hopes. Of course, his father was a former Grand Slam champion, and I see so much strength in his game from the back of the baseline. That would be a fun and electric match if we can have Shapovalov versus Korda for a night session. Yeah, it's it, on the one hand, it's great that it's such an early round match because it does give those fans who were coming in, you know, earlier in the week uh, a great chance to see some some you know fireworks on the court. Uh, but on the other hand, it'd be nice to see something like that, perhaps a little bit later as well. That's a That's tough true. starter match for Shapovalov when you think that Korda will already have that that first match under his belt. Very likely, I would imagine he's going to get through anyone coming out of the qualifying field the way he's been playing. Um, but but yeah, that'll be dynamite. And obviously, my my eyes go right to the Canadians in the draw when I see it come out. And so my first reaction was, thank God that Dennis and Felix are nowhere near each other <laughs> in the draw, because I think this year is there's a very real tangible possibility of both or either of them having a very deep run in Toronto with the field being somewhat depleted of some of the uh, the bigger names as well. And not to take away from them, they're both emerging talents who are at the top of the game as well. So very happy to see them on opposite ends. They could only meet in the final. Not that I'm saying you know, <laughs> that may happen. Um, although, gosh, we'd love it. Uh, and then Vashik Pospisil, who gets a qualifier in his first round match. So that's as good as you could really hope. Uh, and then he would play, if he wins that, Roberto Batista Agu, who has a bye into the second round. So um, not a bad, um, you know, positioning for the Canadians. No early all-Canadian matches, which, I don't know, some people might love it. But for me, I prefer to see them separated in the draw a little bit at the start, at least. Yeah, I completely agree. And and they're all, I, I mean, we'll see if we get more Canadians through qualifying, but they're all in different quarters, too. Um, even with Felix and Vashik both on the, both on the bottom half, they're in separate quarters. Um, Vashik had a huge win over Roberto Batista Good at the U.S. Open, if we recall, last season, which was amazing. I think this is a great draw, I'll be honest, with for Felix Ojeali's team. He opens with the bye because, of course, he's seeded. Then Dusan Lajevic or a qualifier. Lajevic, uh, he's a good player. Um, he, he's been kind of top 30 area in the past, but I don't think he has the weapons to really bother Felix. That's a great opportunity. 
And then you look kind of around that corner. Um, I should mention, had an opportunity to speak with Norway's Casper Ruud, who is seated here and in kind of that bracket. He's an incredible clay court talent. And he sort of admitted in our conversation, adapting to the hard courts and working on that surface. So Felix would be the favorite in a hard court matchup there. If that happens, a um, couple great Russian players here in the mix in that quarter, Karatsev, Karen Hachinov, and uh, then Stefano Tsitsipas. If we had an encounter like later in the stage of this tournament with Felix and Tsitsipas, uh, we know their great history uh, where Felix was getting him earlier in their career. Stefanos has slightly turned the tables in that head-to-head. Yeah, with Felix, I really wonder what Felix are we going to get in this tournament because his season mm-hmm. has been so up and down, uh, struggled through the clay court portion excelled on the grass courts uh which was you know still recent memory and then he's had some struggles on the hard courts the olympics being quite the disappointment for him uh and as well in dc um going down against the uh, young american talent whose name right now is escaping me um jensen brooksby thank you very much i was gonna mix it up with the j and the b there um but yeah so which felix are we gonna see and hopefully being in canada and being back here is exactly what he needs to get his game back on track uh, one other player i want to mention i'm going to be keeping my eye on and i figure most people will as well and that's nick curios mm-hmm. wild card nick curios and we use that term in more ways than one and he got put into a section of the draw that is not going to make people who are there too happy because he starts with a qualifier then uh, could be facing dimitrov and then potentially rafa nadal so things could get uh, very very interesting in that lower part of the draw. You never know what you're going to get with Kyrgios. Yeah, that bottom half is really interesting. I will correct you for a moment. It looks like Kyrgios is opening against Riley Opelka. It's Grigor Grigor Dimitrov, who is uh, actually, I believe he has a bye, and uh, Kyrgios will face Opelka. There is a qualifier in that mix. Um, So huge serving matchup there. I think we're going to see some tie breaks in that match if if Kyrgios can get there. But yeah, you mentioned him just being a a wild card in, in both senses of the word here. Uh, I think he's going to look at this draw and see, I have to win two matches. If I can face Rafael Nadal, this is the way he's wired. He wants to set up like a big match showdown with Rafa. If that's possible, those are the matches he lives for in the big stage. So we'll see if he's kind of motivated early on to make that happen. And um, for Rafael Nadal, his draw is kind of curious as well, because there's a chance he gets a rematch with South African Lloyd Harris, who surprised him in Washington this past week with the upset. So um, I I can't really picture Harris upsetting Nadal two weeks consecutively. That would be a big surprise. At the same time, he would surely be confident going into a matchup knowing he, he has the win already. Yeah, I mean, just to wrap on the men here, but I think there, there is a question mark surrounding Nadal, and that question mark is is physically speaking, how yeah. is he doing health-wise? Because the foot, the way he was talking in press at the City Open in D.C., it didn't sound to me like suddenly the foot was miraculously at 100% or even close. Um, so a bit of an asterisk there. What Nadal is going to emerge on the court here? How fit is he going to be? And, uh, I mean, I just hope he's ready to go with his first one, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, any any favorites or picks to, to, to take it home here in Toronto, or do you not want to play that game? I don't think I'm ready to play that game. I'm looking at my scribbled out draw here on a piece of paper next to me, and so I think I need a little bit more time to let this sink in, to be perfectly honest. But as I said earlier, I think this is a year where uh, I do give the Canadians as much of a shot to win as, as anybody in there, to be honest. 
Yeah, yeah, I certainly agree. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada, the official podcast of the National Bank Open in Toronto. And while we are Toronto-based, we have to speak as well about the women's side and the field in Montreal, which is... uh, as expected, a very deep field. We have multiple Canadians in the qualifying action as well, including Francois Abanda. Great to see her back on the court. Some opportunities for younger Canadians like Kayla Cross and Melody Coyard, Catherine Sebov, Lane Sleeth also in the mix. Um, and then just getting to the main draw, we just had the opportunity to chat with Bianca Andrescu, who I, I was sensing confidence from her in, in press and um, confirming as well a, a trial coaching run with Sven Gronfeld. Yeah, so I asked her in press if that was indeed the case and, and what were the details around it? How did it come to be? And was it going to be a permanent thing or, or not? And so she did uh, mention that it is happening. She's out there with Sven. He was on uh, court with her uh, in Toronto earlier this week before she departed for Montreal. And uh, boy, is he ever a heavy hitter of a coach. I mean, in terms of a, a, a resume, he's coached major, major players. Just on the women's side, names like Monica Sellis, Mary Pierce, Anna Ivanovich, Caroline Wozniacki, Maria Sharapova, like, holy smokes, is that not an impressive list of players right there? Not to mention the men's players he's worked with, too. I won't even get into those because it would take up the rest of the podcast, I feel like. But this is a very decorated coach um, and nothing against Sylvain Bruno. Look at all the wonderful things he did to guide Bianca through the first few years of her professional career. And, and certainly that partnership, I think, should bode well for Sylvain if he wants to continue coaching professional tennis. He's doing a lot of work with uh, Tennis Canada right now and our younger players, but he's going to be hugely in demand if he wants to get back out there and travel again. But for Sven to bring in someone like that, I think that's showing that Bianca is very serious, that she doesn't want to be just a single slam champion. She wants this to be something that she can build upon, like a lot of the other players he's coached. So I'm excited to see what they can do. And uh, we'll get our first glimpse uh, in Montreal. First round bye for Bianca. And then, oh my goodness, of course, I said earlier, I don't like the Canadian flags <laughs> too close in the draw. Here we have a potential matchup against Leila Annie Fernandez, who has to get by a qualifier first. So what are your thoughts on, on that potential? And, uh, and what do you think for Leila Annie potentially uh, getting to that second round against a, a deep field of qualifiers uh, that she may have to face one of them first? Yeah, it, it feels slightly like history repeating itself in the sense of 2019 when we had Bianca face Jeannie Bouchard in the opening round of that tournament. Of course, uh, very different players at very different points in their career, though. Layla Fernandez, young and upcoming. I feel like she's playing pretty good tennis. Honestly, we, we spoke about... Um, disappointments from Canadians in Tokyo, but she was the one Canadian who produced a singles win, which was impressive. And uh, I like her chance, I think, against any qualifier in this field. I'm very interested to see how a match with Bianca would play out just stylistically. Layla, left-hander, takes the ball really early. We see how much Bianca will change up the rhythm, mix in a slice, and then, you know, send a powering forehand down the through the court. I think that would be a fascinating matchup. I'm, I'm also just fascinated by how is the crowd going to react if we get that dynamic? Because Leila Fernandez, of course, um, Quebecois has the Montreal connection, and then Bianca is kind of the the Canadian superstar of our WTA tour. So that would be also a fascinating dynamic. I I think they both get garner great support 
Um, I, I think it's always a little of... awkward, right? It's like seeing your kids play each other. Like that's how I'm <laughs> going to feel one day if my two young twins, you know, end up facing each other uh, on a tennis court, I guess. So, yeah. And, and I felt like it was the same when Bianca played Jeannie a couple of years ago here in Toronto it was at the mm-hmm. start. It was, uh, even though Jeannie was from Montreal and Bianca from the GTA, it was still, you, uh, who do you go for? Um, right. I, I do want to say that uh, Bianca's mentioned in the past how much of a, a pain it is to play against or practice against, I should say, Leila Fernandez um, from Fed Cup, how that lefty serve and just playing that lefty style is not easy for her. Um, we should also note that in Bianca's pre-tournament press today, the moderator of the press conference right at the beginning said, uh, please, no questions about Bianca's draw. So I kind of raised an eyebrow with that one. You don't hear that too often, but perhaps not something that she wants to wade into quite yet not knowing who her opponent will be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, another thing I just took away from that press as well was um, reflecting on her run in 2019, everything she did, of course, winning Rogers cup in Toronto and, and the incredible summer. And she was, you know, had a new take on just viewing that as results from the past and how she used to, I think over the past couple of years, sometimes look back in her mind, how was I playing in 2019? How do I replicate, how I'm playing in 2019. And now she's kind of dropping that mindset. She's of a new frame of mind that this is 2021. We're focused here and now. What can I do well on the tennis court? And I think that's the perfect mindset to have, honestly. If you're thinking about past results and what did you do on the court at this time, you can run into trouble in the present moment. So I like that mentality, honestly, and I I hope it bodes well for her for the summer. And um, if she is healthy, uh, this, this, I think, is the peak of her season of what she can do on these summer hard courts, to be honest. Yeah, it's so tough to say. And I think the reason why us in the press talk so much still about 2019 is because we've seen so little of her since then, both due to yes. the pandemic and injuries and, and COVID. And, you know, the list goes on and on, unfortunately. So um, it would be great to see if she could rediscover some of that magic playing here. Uh, in Canada in front of the Canadian crowd. Um, But if not, I think it's also fair to give her a bit of a pass because, you know, she hasn't had enough matches under her belt. Um, There are a couple other Canadians in the main draw that we should mention. Rebecca Marino is going up against Madison Keys, and that's a tough opening route encounter. Marino, who's ranked 219th right now in the WTA versus Keys, who's ranked 26th. Uh, It'll be a first matchup between those two players. We've also got Carol Zhao, who's ranked just inside the top 300 against Sarah Cerebes Tormo, number 47 in the world. They're one and one in the career head to head, but both of those matches were back in 2018. How do you feel about both of these depth players on uh, Canada's women's side and, and what they bring to the table heading into this tournament? Yeah, honestly, I think these are both uh, fascinating matchups for polar opposite reasons. Rebecca Marino versus Madison Keys. I, I think if if you're on site in Montreal and um, you're looking for a heavyweight hitting matchup, these two players absolutely club the ball. And uh, Marino with her serve plus one combo, very powerful. And Madison Keys is one of the hardest hitting players on the women's tour. So um, this is a very tall order uh, for Rebecca Marino in the first round. But I I think she wants these challenges at this point in her career. Um, You know, returning uh, really like career 3.0, given the breaks that she's had. I I feel like she likes playing hard hitting players and, and giving herself those types of challenges. It makes it even more interesting that it's happening in Canada. So I I think she'll be up for the challenge. Am I expecting an upset? I'm not going to say that, but I I think that'll be a fun match. And then Carol Zhao against Sarah Cerebis Tormo. Uh, 
both like very good grinding players. Tormo is having a real breakout season in 2021. You saw in Tokyo, um, Ash Barty coming off her Wimbledon title has to play Sarah Cerebe's Tormo in the heat and the humidity in Japan and Tormo beats her in the first round. Um, she can be just a, a nightmare to play the way she tracks the ball, a lot of variety spins, a lot of shape to the ball. So expect like very, very long rallies. If you're expecting like aces and quick hitting forehands on the one court with Marino and keys, you're going to get, I think like 20 to 30 ball exchanges with the uh, Zhao and Cerebe's Tormo. And I, I think Carol's in a good place. I spoke to her earlier in the season and um, she was so strong, like her first return for 2021, she made a couple finals in ITF and like it's, has been pretty quickly building that ranking back up. So um, great opportunities for both of them, honestly. Yeah. Fantastic to see both of those players back and, and we wish them best of luck. I, I gotta say, I was a bit jealous of the Montreal crowds getting to see the, the qualifying this yes. weekend. And there were plenty of Canadian women. I'd almost like double the number of women, Canadian women than men in the qualifying draw there. Um, and, and jealous to see those fans who were back in the stands. So Toronto fans, you got to wait just a little bit longer for Monday for that to happen. Uh, while still talking about the women's side in terms of exciting matches, I don't know if it gets any better than uh, the third and fourth line of the draw where you've got Diana Yastremska against Sloane Stevens in the opening round. And then the winner gets uh, the wonderful prize of facing number one seed, Arena Sabalenka. How do you like that? Yeah, look, I would, I must say, I would love to see a matchup with Sloane Stevens and Arena Sabalenka. Diana Yastremska, of course, uh, she had that provisional suspension um, for many, many months that we saw her off the tour, but a, a great hard hitting young Ukrainian player. Actually, it was Leila Fernandez who beat her in Tokyo and that match went three sets. So that was a tight one. Um, I think for Sloan, it's just we never know which version of Sloan Stevens we're going to get. Um, I believe that 20, 2017 U.S. Open champion uh, still resides somewhere in there. It, it's just been a struggle for her to to put things together and bring it out on a consistent basis. Uh, but for me, Arena Sabalenka, the number one seed, she is the most feared player in this draw, um, especially given that we, we did have a few withdrawals. But um, not only just the, the past couple of seasons she's put together, but uh, her ability on hard courts has been second to none, just chalking up titles so for me she's the favorite here whoever comes through that first match is going to have a very tall order facing Sabalenka who uh, can always play her best tennis and I I think she's gonna uh, be kind of in the running for a great summer to be honest I've never been so on guard watching someone practice as I was when Sabalenka was last year in Toronto in terms of not being hit by an errant ball or serve (laughs) coming off of her her racket. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately we won't be in Montreal to see that live, but uh, that was something else to behold. Uh, you look at the potential quarterfinals in Montreal and it looks just fantastic. A potential Sabalenka versus Azarenka in an all uh, Belarus matchup. Pliskova against Muguruza, Kvitova against Svitolina, uh, Olympic gold medalist, Alina Svitolina, uh, and Simona Halep potentially against Bianca Andreescu, who grew up idolizing uh, Simona when she was a kid. So who knows how many of those will come to be, but uh, it's a pretty stacked draw in Montreal for sure. Yeah, I would love to see a Bianca versus Halep matchup. I will say that. Um, I believe they did play once at the 2019 WTA finals in that round robin stage. And I recall that was a lengthy three set battle. Um, Unfortunately, that was like the final tournament of Bianca's 
season before we had all the play halted and she didn't come back for 15 months but uh it, it yeah. was that match yeah it was that match that, that was the one her right. down and, and injured her i believe so mm-hmm. um it'd be nice to see both of them play at uh you know full health and that's also a question mark for Halep who yes uh, today in one of her pre-tournament interviews said she's feeling the word she used to describe how she's feeling is feeling a little bit shy about how she's going to respond on the court and just hoping to get uh you know some matches under her belt and, and hopefully feeling good out there so um, she hasn't played in, in many months either. Yeah, that's true. She, of course, missed Wimbledon. Um, you mentioned Karolina Pliskova, and she was flying finally under the radar, I would say, for the first time in, in a while, kind of mid this season. And that is when she pounced and made the Wimbledon final. So we'll, we'll see if she carry, carries over some of that confidence from a great performance on grass. Um, I look at kind of that second quarter with Karolina Pliskova and Garbina Muguruza, again, like a lot of hard hitters in that section. Yelena Ostapenko is there, also a total wild card. You never really know what type of performance you're going to get from her. I recall watching her battle with uh, Pavluchenkova a few years ago in Toronto, a couple years ago in Toronto, um, and so much hard hitting between those two. The point we're ending early on winners in very frequent fashion so that that's an interesting section Petra Kvitova as well um one of my favorite players to watch like big big hard hitting lefty we'll see if she's capable of a run and you mentioned Alina Svitolina coming off the bronze medal um we'll see if she has good energy here I I think she can gain some momentum from uh taking home that medal in Tokyo that was like an amazing performance honestly yeah, and again, we've heard from players in the past who have used Olympic success to then, you know, springboard to Grand Slam success. And so maybe that's something for Svitolina where it will give her that little extra bit of confidence to uh, take that to the next level at the majors. Uh, we're going to be focusing majorly on the men's tournament as we're here in Toronto, but our uh, sibling podcast, Sur La Ligne, in uh, Montreal, will uh, be providing full access to the, the women's events. So we encourage you to go check them out. And we'll, of course, be uh, making note of... Uh, you know, interesting developments that happen there. Before we wrap up today, we do have one final interview and that's with Canadian doubles specialist and uh, WTA double star, I think we should say these days, Sharon Fishman, who's now up into the top 30 in women's doubles. Uh, she fulfilled her goal of qualifying to play the Olympic games in Tokyo. And I was very fortunate to get to sit down with her yet again and chat about the Olympic experience, despite the fact that it didn't last as long as she would have liked with Gabby Dabrowski and talk to her about the uh, Banque Nationale in Montreal, where unfortunately she won't be competing this year due to a shoulder injury. Uh, But for more information on that, uh, here's my interview with Sharon Fishman. As part of our National Bank Open preview episode, I'm very happy to welcome back Sharon Fishman to Matchpoint Canada. Aside from being one of the best doubles players in the world, Sharon won the WTA 1000 tournament earlier this year in Rome with partner Juliana Olmos, and most recently proudly represented Canada at the Tokyo Olympic Games. Thanks for joining us today, Sharon. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm great. It's uh, it's my first time home in seven months, and it's a little bit surreal. So I'm I'm loving it right now. Still, still getting set up there, I guess. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been quite the transition. Dylan and I have been living out of our suitcase for the last seven months, which typically I'm used to, but I've never done a seven month stint like this before. <laughs> Well, let's start with the Olympic Games then, which, uh, if I remember correctly, is part of the reason why you decided to come back to tennis. Um, so how was the experience? How would you assess what happened there? And uh, and what's it like now calling yourself a, a Canadian Olympian? Yeah, it's... Um... I'm still sort of digesting everything. It's, it's been a, it's been a crazy ride. Um, the Olympics itself was, 
incredible. It was, it was a very interesting games. Um, especially when I speak to Olympians that have been to non COVID Olympics and they definitely give off a different vibe than what was kind of going on in Tokyo. Like because but, of the, the restrictions and, and whatnot. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in Tokyo, we were getting tested every single day and that puts a lot of pressure on everybody because if someone tests positive, obviously they're immediately out and then they go down the close contact list. And if you happen to be socializing and are deemed a close contact, then that impacts you. So for the most part, people were not nearly as social as I would have imagined them to be. And from what I understood normally are, um, also, for example, the opening ceremonies, most athletes march or walk, but due to COVID, I believe only 30 Canadian athletes out of 340-ish walked. And that's obviously a much smaller group than, than usual. Were you in that um, group? Yes, yes, of course. Like you said, it was, it was my inspiration for returning to tennis. It was my biggest goal while competing. Um, so I, was, I wasn't gonna miss it for the world. It was, it was an incredible experience. So Tokyo was definitely, it was definitely different than I think it would have, than I know it would have been um, if it was in a non-COVID time. But in saying that, I think that very few countries could have pulled off an Olympics in COVID and do it as safely and as organized um, as, as Japan did. I, I did speak to a number of other people in the, um, in the organization committee, um, in the COC. And they did say that it was beyond complicated to get this games to where it was at. However, Japan was probably one of the only countries that could have done it. So it was, I think, um, a, it was very lucky that, that Tokyo 2020 happened to fall, you know, in, in Japan's court, because, I don't know that many other Olympics would have been able to go through. In terms of performance on the court, you and Gabby Dabrowski were the seventh seed. And it was nice to see that ahead of the tournament because I thought, hey, bringing these two together who have played, uh, albeit in the past, uh, would be a great combination. But there's a lot of things that go into obviously the dynamic. You and Gabby hadn't played together, I believe, in, in quite some time. You've got the long travel from home, getting over there, different time zone, uh, dealing with the you know, on-site testing, as you mentioned as well. You went out in the first round. Um, mm -hmm. What do you attribute your performance to? And and was that a, a disappointment or just happy to be there and getting that chance to compete given the shoulder injuries that you've been dealing with recently? Both. Um, it was it was unfortunate. We were both really disappointed. Um, I definitely can speak on on my behalf because I know I know what I brought to the table. Um, it was a very it was a very challenging event for me. Um, you know, I had withdrawn from Wimbledon in order to be able to have the best chance to compete at the Olympics. I had um, re-injured my shoulder that I was out for eight weeks earlier um, this year because of. So it was it was a horrible tear that I had in, in uh, February that that derailed me for for two months. And then when I re-injured it in, in at Wimbledon, I just I just knew that this was going to be a really challenging Olympics for me. So um, that definitely impacted things. I, I had limited practice, very limited practice leading up to it. Um, and, 
and that unfortunately, you know, definitely played played into um, our our performance. However, um, I did also think that I did a great job. I did everything I could. You know, there were definitely some some shots that I I missed that you know maybe more times out of ten I wouldn't, especially in that situation or or in in the timing of the match. But that's sports. Um, I definitely didn't think we we played our best as a team. Um, we played points with a couple of other teams leading up to our first round. And I thought that uh, our performance in practice was definitely better than, than our first round performance. Um, you know, it was a number of factors. It also played into effect, like who we played. Um, we played against a team that was playing really well and ended up getting the bronze medal, which is, you know, great for them. Um, it was also someone that Gabby knew really well. And I think that that can be a blessing and a curse because sometimes you can overthink that. And I think there was a little bit of that in there as well. Um, so both of us were, you know, just trying to pivot and adjust a lot. And, um, I think that as a team, we probably could have focused more on what we should be doing instead of what the other team's doing. Um, but that's sports, you know, all you can do is give your best. You're not going to perform your best every single day, but if you leave everything you have that day on the court, you can be proud of that. It's always disappointing. It's never gonna, it's never going to change that feeling, but I can say that, we tried our best, at least for me, I gave everything I possibly could. Um, I'm really proud of how I competed and performed given the injuries I've had to be dealing with. Um, and that's all I can do. I'm very proud to, to, to have competed there. I'm very, very excited to, to say that, um, you know, for myself that I achieved that goal of being an Olympian and, and it was really an honor to, um, to represent Canada at the Olympics. And I always really feel that whenever I can, I'll, I'll always show up for my country. Yeah, right on. Well said. Um, tennis fans in Canada obviously have high hopes for our Canadian tennis athletes as a whole, just because of all the positive things that we've experienced the past few years, both in singles and in doubles. Didn't click in Tokyo, partly because we didn't send our full crew uh, due to various reasons. Um, but how much confidence do you have that it's just a matter of time before the Canadian squad does have an Olympic Games, uh, you know, for the record books here in our country, given the talent that we currently do have here. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I think I think that Canadians can definitely medal in tennis. I, I don't I don't see any reason why that's not possible. Um, you know, our, our next games coming up is, I believe, in Paris. Right. And I think that only three years. from in, now. Yeah, only three years from now. Um, I know that that Felix, for example, has done amazing in, um, in the clay court season in the past, Dennis as well. Uh, Bianca, you know, she's proven that she can, she can beat anybody on any surface. Um, you know, I, I don't see why that's not possible. She's won a grand slam before and the Olympics is pretty much like a grand slam. Uh, Layla Fernandez has gone deep at Roland Garros. She won the junior French open. Um, I, I really think that that Canadians are serious medal contenders for, for the next Olympics and hopefully for the Olympics after, because we do have such a young team, um, you know, Felix, Dennis, Bianca, Layla, they've got at least another, you know, one for sure, one, probably two Olympics in, uh, left in their career. Um, you know, and for doubles, I think it's unfortunate Vashik didn't come. Vashik's obviously a very experienced and incredible doubles player. He's had phenomenal results. I think he could have definitely done something, especially in mixed doubles. Uh, if he had been in Tokyo, maybe him, he and Gabby would have had a little bit more success there. But at the same time, you have to remember that everyone is amazing right now at this era of tennis. 
it's incredible to see the upsets that are happening uh, on the women's side. We've sort of gotten used to that. There hasn't been this like dominating player the way we've seen in, in the past eras of women's tennis, which is just a testament to, to how high the level is right now. Um, and the men's, the men's side, we're starting to see a lot more upsets as well. Uh, Djokovic. Finally, you could say. Almost. Yes, finally. Yeah. Right. Um, so that, that's really cool. I mean, it's obviously a change, but it's an exciting change because you see these young guns coming up and, and beating these, these veterans, these incredible, you know, goats, greatest of all time uh, tennis players. And I think that to say that Canadians are medal contenders is, is an absolute in my eyes, because at this point, anybody can be anybody. And we're seeing that in pretty much any event that, that, um, that is being held across the world. So I think that gives a lot of hope to Canadian tennis. This next question might put you on the spot a little bit, but uh, might we see Sharon Fishman uh, at the Paris games in 2024? <laughs> I, I'm not, I, uh, I'm at this point taking it a day at a time. For me, my, my goal was to come back and compete in the Tokyo Olympics. And I've done that. And now I really have no idea what my long-term goals are. I can say that I love competing with my partner. I think that was one really challenging part for me when I was moving up the ranks in the, in the last couple of years was, was this like instability with partners. I was always changing partners every week, every couple of weeks. And that was really hard on me mentally. Um, it's, it's a very, it's a very strange situation to be in. It's like kind of like speed dating. And now that Juliana and I are playing together exclusively whenever, obviously we're in the same event, there'll be weeks where maybe she'll want to compete and I won't and vice versa. Um, it's just so much, so much more, relaxing to know that I don't have to constantly stress out about finding someone to play with. And there's just this ease on the court. We, we know each other very well. We know each other's games very well in stressful moments. We know how to handle each other. And at the same time, we really get along on and off the court, which has been such a blessing. And, and I'm so grateful to have such a wonderful person to, to kind of share my hopes and dreams with, you know? Um, so at that point, at this point, sorry, all I can say is I, I do I do plan to continue competing the rest of this year once I get my shoulder better and next year. Um, so who knows? It's possible. So what I'm hearing is, yes, it's definitely possible. That's what <laughs> I'm taking possible. from that answer. And that maybe we need to find Juju a Canadian passport. Is that it? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> um, let's shift over to the National Bank Open, the newly named National Bank Open. Um, you won't be playing the event, so maybe you can fill our listeners in on, on why that's the case. Um, and, and regardless, what that tournament has meant to you over the years as you've played it so many times. That's right. It's really with a heavy heart that I'm not going to be competing in the, the NBO, the National Bank Open. Um, it's really unfortunate, you know, but at the same time, there's you can't plan injuries. So unfortunately, my shoulder's just not ready. And we're doing everything we can um, to, to get me back out there when I'm ready to go. 
So in the meantime, I will be in Montreal, but I will be commentating um, and doing play-by-play for Sportsnet. So I'm very excited about that. That was something that I'd been doing in my years away from professional tennis. So I'm excited. I love it. It's an aspect of the sport that that I never, you know, saw myself um, doing a handful of years ago. But now that that I'm in it, I'm I'm super pumped. So I will see. People there, they might not see me, but they will likely hear me if they're tuning in to the broadcast. Well, that's great to hear. And I would imagine that slipping back into the broadcast booth will hopefully be a little bit easier than coming back to tennis as you did a couple of <laughs> years ago. Hopefully. <laughs> What's your favorite National Bank Open memory from your, your playing career so far? Oh, that's a great question. To be honest, I think it's, well, I, I believe it's, it was 2013. I had a great run in doubles with Gabby, actually. And then I, I won my first round in singles in the main draw. And I had a super close match uh, with Yelena Yankovic, I believe. It was, it was a close two-setter, had some set points. Um, eventually lost to her, but, but I broke the top 100 that week. Uh, for the first time, we went super deep in, in doubles, beating the world number ones along the way. It was in Toronto, which was really cool um, because I am – born and raised in Toronto. Um, so I'm going to have to say 2013 was pretty special for me. I was, um, I was looking for some pictures to include for the podcast of you. And I'm realizing I keep going back to the well because I haven't had the opportunity to be live at any tournaments and, and snap any shots. But I do have a bunch from that 2013 run that you and Gabby had where you beat the Italians en route to the semifinals. Uh, you know, uh, a little bit more baby-faced Gabby and Sharon in those photos, but uh, I'll have <laughs> yeah. to pull them out for the tournament this year for sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, what lies ahead for you in, in 2021, assuming that, uh, you know, you get that shoulder rehabbed and, and can get back on the court? Um, I mean, I'm starting, I'll be starting the year in a much better position ranking-wise than I have in the past, especially last year um, or this year, excuse me. So that'll be exciting. You know, um, my partner and I, we really had to pick and choose which tournaments we were going to play because the entry um, cutoffs were, were quite difficult and they're just getting more and more challenging. So I think now both of us being well into the top 50 is going to be really helpful for getting into events. Um, so, you know, we don't know the schedule yet. We don't know the calendar yet, but we're assuming, you know, all the slams will, will still be there. And um, so we're definitely going to base our schedule around that. And then we'll just have to be careful with how many tournaments we, we choose to play in, uh, especially me. You know, I am competing in my 30s now. So well, just barely, though, just barely, Sharon. just barely, just barely you tell my shoulder that. But um, <laughs> it's it's definitely a bit more of, of a selection process, which is I'm very grateful for, because in the past it was sort of like whatever we can get into, let's go for it. Um, and then hopefully I won't be on the road for seven months straight. So <laughs> being able to, to have breaks and come back um, to Canada or at least like take little, take little mini vacations or, or um, you know, plan some training blocks in to, to keep my mental and physical health um, as good as it can be is going to be really important as well. Yeah, well, we wish you a speedy recovery and, and thanks for joining us today on, on Matchpoint Canada. You're climbing up our rankings in terms of number of appearances. So I hope that this continues to grow just like your ranking in doubles okay thank you so much i'd love that you know anytime you, you you give me a shout i will be there cool and give dylan a hello for me i hope his tennis training is uh, continuing to go well 
<laughs> yes, I will. Actually, it's it's on pause a little bit. It's kind of funny. We both have bad shoulders. Um, so he has to rest his because he's going to be resurrecting his uh, skating career, at least in show skating, not competing. Um, so he's prepping for, for an upcoming fall um, tour. So I will let him know and um, I'll send you some video clips of him on the court when we get him out there. Okay, that sounds great. Take care. Have fun in Montreal. Thank you. And there you have it. That was my chat with Sharon Fishman, who I just love talking with her. She feels like just a, a friend that you're, you know, um, talking, uh, talking tennis with. And I feel like I've known her a lot longer than I, than I do. She's just such a positive, friendly person. Um, it's a shame we won't be seeing her in Montreal because uh, her and Juliana almost have really become uh, a, a top tier WTA partnership. And uh, as I joked with Sharon, too bad we can't get Juliana a Canadian passport for the next Olympic <laughs> Games because those two have serious chemistry and, um, you know, they would have been something else to watch for fans in Montreal. But uh, we wish her all the best getting healthy. And uh, she's put together quite a season winning a WTA 1000, which, uh, you know, I think highlight of her career thus far. Yeah, yeah, it's been amazing uh, the season those two have put together, both reaching career highs and doubles as well. They're both just inside that top 30. Sharon Fishman, 28 right now, and Juliana almost, pardon me, is uh, 26. And, and not only winning that WTA title, um, reaching a Grand Slam quarterfinal, doing that at the front end of the year at the Australian Open, another amazing accomplishment. So as you said, like so much chemistry uh, with those two. And yeah, Sharon Fishman, such a, a breath of fresh air. Um, we missed her on the Sportsnet panel as well. She provides great insight when she has covered this tournament in the past. And well, you and can she'll sense... She'll be there again. She'll be oh, there she... once again. In, oh, and she will be Montreal. here once again. Uh, so perfect. So uh, you get her insights and analysis uh, on site. And if you're watching uh, the Montreal tournament, which is, is fantastic... Uh, uh, such a great representation of uh, tennis in this country. And uh, we wish her the best for the rest of the season. Um, don't go very far if you're one of our listeners or if you haven't listened before. We're happy that you're joining us. Uh, this is Matchpoint Canada for this week. The, we are the official podcast of the National Bank Open in Toronto. We will talk to you next time. Listen to our thoughts, the illusions of someday.